0: Foundations
1: And so, with Derash, we're kind of looking at an allegorical, although practical, application for us to understand, um, particularly in ethical, moral matters, we're sinful people.
0: Foundations, understanding the Jewish foundations of our Christian faith. With Robbo Robinson and Mandy Warby. Over the last two programs, we've looked at two levels of Jewish interpretation of the Bible, the plain, obvious, surface-level meaning, and also at the hints that there's deeper understanding and meaning as well. But only if the deeper meanings confirm and protect the original meaning. In this program, we're going to look at the next level of interpretation, which is the use of allegories and homiletics within the interpretation.
1: We talk about how deep and rich the scripture is and how, you know, if you start digging, you find so much gold. You know, there is so much treasure when you dig into the scripture. And sometimes we think we've found something, but if it actually undermines the plain meaning of the text then we actually haven't found a treasure, we've found an error. Mm. We've come up with an error of our own imagining. But the the four levels of interpretation come under an acronym, a Hebrew word called pardes, which is made up of the letters P-R-D-S in English, that is. And they stand for Peshat, as you mentioned, the plain surface level meaning of the text. Then there is Remez, this hint that there's something deeper, this allegorical, symbolic and oftentimes
0: prophetic. So just a quick reflection on the the first two that we've already studied. Peshat, which is the most important and obvious level of understanding yeah. the Bible. It means learning and studying what it says by keeping the text in context. The historical and cultural setting is vital, as well as the social setting. ...that the writers were living in. Then, of course, the next level is remez, which means that there's a deeper or symbolic meaning to the text as well. The deeper meaning can often be seen in future prophetic Mm fulfillments, which we learned about last time. But, again, whatever remez meaning is gained... It must never weaken or undermine the plain obvious meaning of the written text.
1: It's very easy to do actually, but what the modern church tends to do is it's almost as if we're bored with Bible. Mm. We're a little bit bored with it and we want something a little more exciting. So we want to go looking for something that's not really there. And then we kind of say we've we've discovered something brand new. We must be very, very careful to protect the integrity of the straight meaning of
0: the text. Okay, so that's a little bit of a recap. Let's go to the next level of biblical interpretation, derash.
1: Derash is kind of like an expansion of the implicit meaning of the text, but to find an allegorical or homiletical application for it, and again, I have to keep emphasizing this, it must never weaken or diminish or ignore the straight plain meaning of the text. And we mentioned uh, also in a previous program about exegesis. This is what we would call in in our Christian circles the hermeneutical interpretive method of the scripture. Exegesis was to unpack the scripture and draw out the meaning that's in there. Eisegesis is to actually push a bias or a presupposed meaning into the text from ourselves. And Narcissus is just, it's all about me. (laughs) And so with Darash, we're kind of looking at an allegorical, although practical application for us to understand, um, particularly in ethical, moral matters. We're sinful people. There is actually a fantastic allegory with this ethical underpinning and understanding for us as fallen humanity that Paul gives, Paul gives an absolutely extraordinary allegory with regard to the fact that we're either slaves under the law or we are free and have salvation through Christ.
0: So I'm going to read that. It's in Galatians 4, verses 21 to 31, and it says, Tell me, you who want to be under the law, don't you listen to the law? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, the law, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it's written, Rejoice, barren woman, who doesn't bear! Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for more numerous are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. But as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so it is also now. But what does the Spirit say? Cast out the bondwoman. And her son, for the son of the bondwoman, shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we're not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman.
1: Now, our purpose in reading that is not to actually explain the actual meaning of the text, although, in a nutshell, what that's talking about is that if you are under the law, you are literally enslaved to the law and enslaved to the sinful nature, and that is representative in the person of Hagar, who was the bond, the slave woman, and the child that was brought forth from her, which was Ishmael. But if we, who come under the the protection or the salvation or the purchase of our salvation through the blood of Christ, we're free. Mm. And that is representative in Sarah, the free woman, from whom comes Isaac. And therefore, um, the the new Jerusalem, which is our intended home, our future, our destination, therefore we're free. And this is this symbology, this um, allegory that Paul uses. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that we need to find it easy to understand what he's (laughs) saying, because that's actually quite complicated. But the point is, is using an allegory of Hagar and Sarah, of Mount Sinai and the New Jerusalem, and of the law and freedom that we have in Christ. That's all the allegory. Does that allegory in any way diminish the truth that Hagar was a slave woman, Sarah was a free woman, Ishmael was born to the slave woman, Isaac was born to the free woman, that the law was given at Mount Sinai, that the New Jerusalem is our intended home of freedom and and complete liberty.
0: No, it doesn't diminish any of that at all.
1: So Peshat, the plain meaning of the text, is protected.
0: So we're enforcing Peshat, but we're also seeing the richness and the depth in Darash in this particular passage.
1: Exactly. But what Paul did there, he actually used scripture to provide the allegory of... For Scripture, Mm. if you know what I mean. Like, you know how we've talked before about the Trinity, the the doctrine of the Trinity? And I have my own allegory that I use to try to understand what is essentially a mysterious thing, and that is the admiralty in the Navy with Mm -hmm. three admirals trying to save a, a renegade ship. Okay? That is not a biblical allegory. It is a human analogy and a human allegory to try to explain, to give at least a semblance of understanding mm. to a biblical truth.
0: So it, it may not be perfect, but it does, a, it does the job, you might it say. It does,
1: but it's human and it's flawed. But if I wanted to give a perfect picture... Of the Trinity, we actually already see one in Scripture, and that is where Jesus is the physical Son of God who is baptized. And when he is baptized, the spirit in the form of a dove lands on him and the voice of God actually comes from Mm. the heavens and declares that he is his Son in whom he's well pleased. That's Scripture interpreting what we see taught and seen throughout the rest of Scripture. Yeah. So while that was a physical event, we can, we can see this, this imagery, if you know what I mean. So yeah. the, the, the important thing about Dirash is that if we're going to use analogies, it must be biblical analogies, so that we can understand the Bible, not just using our own analogies to push some kind of a meaning that we think is there into the Scripture.
0: Well, on the next program, we're going to wrap up this series looking at Pardes, and we're going to uh, look at the last of these biblical interpretation methods, the most controversial and possibly even the most dangerous, next time on Foundations.